All right, here we go. It's the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Good evening, everybody. It's a good one here, live from downtown Matawan. That's right. If you're in Matawan and you're on Route 34 and you go to the most depressing section of Matawan, that's where you'll see the Chop Sports Studios, located at 750 Route 34 in Matawan, New Jersey, where there is absolutely nothing going on 600 yards to the left or 600 yards to the right. But if you go into 750 Route 34 in Matawan, you will see the absolute gorgeous studios where I have to sit amongst all this cowboy and Green Bay paraphernalia. But this is show number 11. That's right. I was going to say it's the Mark Messier show, but I can't. I'm going to go with the Phil Sim show. Bro, that's as bad as saying the Eli Manning show. No, no, it's not. Yes, no, it's it is. Not. And Messier, no, you can't not. say because he's on the wall. Because he's behind me, I know. No, but that's that's when I walked Come in, on. I saw Phil that. Sims is a layup. I, listen, I could have went with the Brett Gardner show. I could have went with the Gary Sheffield show, those of you scoring at home. Or more importantly, the Chuck Knobloch show. What about show. The, the Fred Stanley? That's more, Fred more, Chicken more... Stanley show? So, number 11. That's what I was expecting. If I had a gun to my head, I was so you're a little that. you're a little disappointed that I yeah. went with Phil Sims. Well, that was my mother's favorite quarterback. Like when your mother buys those awful hats, oh. okay, that you wear now. Thanks, mom. I know my mom's listening. It's amazing. Uh, tell her, tell her to call me. I, I, and father can call too. I'll tell him. He probably has awful hats too at home. The bottom line is, you improved your Yankee hat. So wait a minute. We're going with the Phil Sim show. Although Fred Chicken Stanley and Chuck Knobloch and and uh, Brett Gardner, all great, great, um, you know, things. I think it's more important to mock out the. Your Yankee hat. Now you've improved. It's kind of one of those like golf hats that's cooler in it's the like back. Denim, it's white. Not bl- not Yankee. It's blue. not it's Yankee denim. blue. A little bit. Um, of course, I look over at Dave behind the glass, and he's wearing the standard interlocking NY Yankee hat. So the, the the difference is this. See, this is why you and I differ. In my closet, I have a Yankee jersey. It's number forty four. That's it. I'm done. I don't have to ever purchase another jersey again. Right next to it is a Giant jersey. It's number 56. I never again have to purchase another giant jersey. I don't have to, no current one. That's the jersey that LT wore. And that's it. We're done. So when you buy the interlocking standard now my Yankee question, hat, you're I'm done. I'm going to cut you off on that. This it, it, it still fits? Those jerseys still fit? You see that? See, this is you're when. coming at me, bro. This I is got, the moment of I our show. ammo here, too. No, listen, it's not ammo. When the producer just starts calling you fat, that's how you know <laughs> they're done. Because, and we're going to lead, this is a perfect uh, lead-in for the Phil Sims show. Now I'm really sticking to Phil Sims. I'm going to get Phil Sims on my show, my mother's favorite quarterback. And I'll even make him wear that ugly hat your mother got. But uh, that sounds mean, doesn't it? Your mother got an ugly hat. Sounds wrong, doesn't it? I meant the actual hat. Um, it's but uh, it's that's wrong. No, it's, it's wrong. I'm, I'm good. I know. She got it at Kohl's. Did she get the 30% Kohl's, off? Kohl's, bro. Yeah, that's Did why. She, she got the Kohl's off? card. She scratched it and off. And got she had t- an, t- a, you know what? An additional 30%. I don't think so. I think she no, got 10% I, I'm positive. off of that hat. You know what, though? The Nike shorts, I didn't get any percentage off the Nike shorts somewhere. This is a birthday present. Yeah, so when's your birthday? Same as yours. We're, we we had this discussion on the podcast last I know, week, but, but I, not I on forget. Things like May 26th. Yes, me. You're and, entering your. Me and Chris Gucci's. You're entering your Lawrence. As a matter of fact, year. I feel bad for Dave because he's pissed that he's not born on the same day. He's a little bit. He's a little. He's like, ah. Oh. He just. I just heard him. He's talking to his dad. He's like, why wasn't I born on May 26? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anybody angry at their birth date. And Der- Dave Sturcio here at the Chop Sports Network is one of them. But this could be a perfect segue of the Jimmy Palumbo show, number eleven, Phil Sim show, as they call it. Go get your jerseys at Chop Sports. Um. I played softball last week for the first time for the Chop Sports Network. Now, uh, just let me pontificate a little bit before uh, the, the minions jump in. The bottom line is this. Chop Sports was 0-4. A struggling 0-4. A going nowhere 0-4. So what do they do? They sign an aging veteran, Johnny Treno, to come in and see what he can do in this co-ed softball league which is really the end of the line, this league. You know, it's over. Of course, immediately entering the field, the umpire knew me right away because he used to do games for 35 years. And he's probably and listening now. He subscribed He's listening. I made him subscribe on the field. Uh, that's I'm doing my marketing. First thing, so many things went wrong. First thing is they made me catch. And I felt bad for some of the fans that were there, there to come see me play that they wanted to see Johnny Trinidad. Load right management. Field. Yeah. And there I am catching. 
And I wasn't hot mic'd, so I couldn't, you know, uh, I, I called a great game, by the way. I kept the pitcher in line. Um, my first at bat was, uh, was ratty. I was struggling a little bit. The sun was in my eyes. The, the way they designed the fields at Warren Park and Woodbridge, they, uh, when you play, when the sun sets, the sun is in your eyeballs. No one could see anything. So I struggled with that. Even though I played that league for 35 years, I should know better, but I didn't. I struggled the first time up. I struggled the second time up. But the third time up, I hit a, a little line shot to the, I think it was the second baseman or shortstop. That was a, I felt it. I felt the old magic coming back. The wrists were turning. You barreled it. I, I ripped it. The fourth time up, I hit a frozen rope that almost took the pitcher's head off. Of course, he boots it, whatever he did. He, it ended up being a double play. It sucked, yeah. It was a double play. It was a double play. At a key point in the game. They had to hold up at first. The runner right. had to hold up. Thought it was going to get a line caught. shot. It was yeah. rocket. The other thing that happened. Um, now, this is when you know you're you're a veteran, okay? When the bats aren't working, what do you got to do? You ever hear the dugout say, hey, let's throw the glove at him. And there I am catching. Now, catching in softball, if you can't catch in softball, you shouldn't be playing anymore. So whenever your buddy says, oh, I can't catch. You tell them to just get in your car and drive home. Because if you can't catch, that's the minimum. That's like breathing. Are you breathing? Are you alive? You got a heart rate? Can you catch in softball? I was squatting up and down. I looked like a beached whale going up and down. And I decided, you know what? I'm not having a good day at the plate. It's time to throw the leather at him. So what happens? Base is loaded. Okay? No outs. I tell the pitcher, hey, man, I'm here. Ground ball, come to me. We could turn two. What happens? The guy hits a dribbler to the pitcher. His eyes light up. He's got Johnny Trino behind the plate. He flips to me, and I knew right away we got the guy at first base. So I come up, and I throw a beautiful high throw over so the first baseman, a tall girl, can catch it. Perfect throw over the runner's shoulder for a double play, and she drops it. The blondie drops it, and now I had to rip her a new butt the rest of the game by mocking her out. But I let it go. Cut to the next inning. And I'm saying to myself, I got to throw the glove at him. Now, what they tried to do, they looked at this fat, aging man behind the plate. <laughs> and I thought I heard somebody say, try to bunt on him. Try to bunt on him. They were trying to bunt on me. But they did it with one of those sweet, you can't bunt in softball, but you can hit it like a wuss. The guy swings, and what does he do? He hits a dribbler five feet in front of me. But Johnny Trino was ready. I the, the the exuberance getting out from behind the like plate. Like a cat. Like a cat, bro. And then I threw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball to the same woman who dropped the double play ball. I was gonna but say, I didn't you, care. You, you stayed confident, and you, you believed in your teammates. I believed in her. I believed in her. She was kind of cute, too. And I threw a <laughs> rocket, a rocket to first base for the out in one motion to the delight of the four people that were there watching us. <laughs> the bottom line is... We're now two and four, not oh and four, sweeping the doubleheader of the nemesis, Mike DeCrosta's bronzers, because <laughs> he owns bronze. tanning salons. They're called the bronzers, and we're called Chop Sports Network, because these guys own the Chop Sports Network, um, and my dad owned Corona Construction, so you you know, you know name it after who, you know, you're not sponsored as someone you know owns the team. That's how it works, but I was very, very sad about my hitting. But the last two at bats, I feel it coming on. You I got, think you got a base hit in the book on the one, but, no, I can't. but you won't take it. No. Dave gave you a base hit. I hit a I hard think it was ball. Generous. I hit a hard ball to shortstop. He was already down on one. Got to be straight up in the book. You got to be real. It was an error. I put an error. As much as my favorite fan, yeah, like, Dave Sturgeo, <laughs> yeah, was he was like pretty much. Actually, he, he tried to make me four for four until I told him, dude, if it's an out, it can't be a hit. And he scribbled it out. He put, you know, that was like a ground ball a second. But I appreciate that, Dave. I really do. Um, but when you're, when you bat at 706, you can't, you can't, you want everyone legitimate. So right now I'm 0 for 14 on the year. And, um, that is, uh, I, I'm in counseling. It's going okay. Uh, I also take Zola for that. Um, and I look forward to this Thursday. I will be in the lineup. Um, so even though they got a bat like fifteen, it takes you an hour and a half for guys to get up. Yeah, we got a we got a nice. I wouldn't call it a bye week because we got to we got to stay ready. But this team gave up thirty runs last week in one game. Right, but I will let you know our team stinks. Yeah. You know that, right? <laughs> no, this is no. We stink, bro. We stink. That no. other team stunk worse. But it's okay. It's all relative. Well, 
Yes. Because if we if we come back, if we I come, take things like that personally. I don't. I'm. I'm. We're not going to stink for long. I don't want. No. No. It. No. It never gets better. It no, never we're gets gonna better. Get better. <laughs> let's. Okay. Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about Chris Gucci's play. Now I know this is a podcast, and I'm talking about a softball game, but I have to because uh, Chris is a heady ball player. Likes to run in the outfield, but. What he doesn't understand is if the ball bounces 12 feet in front of you, you don't dive after the ball hits the ground. So he was so desperate to make a diving catch that he just dove at a ball. And it got to the point where Joe, the other fielder, the last out of the game, just called it and just oh, took that it how away. Went down. That's how it went down. Um, I got it! Now, normally I would call up Joe and talk to him about it, but he's standing right in front of me now. So he gets the shameless plug, screaming, I got it, because nobody wanted to see Chris dive again. Because I haven't, the last time I dove for a ball, I believe, was 1989. Okay? Um, But we did win two games, so we're back. And that's the fun of it. And I had a good time. We shot some videos. We're going to be posting them all week. Um, Guys are going to get a kick out of them, I think. Because we now have different characters, um, and you guys are going to get a charge out of it. So that's enough for softball. Those of you who don't follow sports probably hate me. So what we're going to do, what are we going to move right into? New York Knickerbocker basketball. Because I have been saying the Knicks are tough. They're going to make the playoffs. Even though they annoyed my soul, I was worried about the last nine games. The Knicks finished strong, even though the last game against the Celtics was a little shin god. They clinched the four seed. They have home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs. The Knicks have the MVP of the league, Julius Randle. And why that is is simple. There's 72 games. He played in 71 out of 72 games. Okay. Now, some of the other players, I know they were injured, but they, I feel like every, all the stars that are in the playoffs only played nine games this year. That's how I feel. And this guy also played tons of minutes, leads the league in minutes. I think he's a pure, the pure word MVP is Julius Randle. Obviously, that big monster on, uh, was it the Suns or, uh, no, the, on the 76. Um, yeah, uh, he's a stud. I, I can't take that away. He's got more points, more rebounds, more. But I still think Randall's huge with the Knicks, just as important. And I'm excited because, like, even, even my brother's talking about the Knicks and he's a, he's a closet Knicks fan. He was a huge Knicks fan growing up and he was in the whole Ewing years. And, and now most of my friends, these are the phone calls I'm getting from my friends this week. Hey, MSG, what channel is that on? Do you get, I don't know if I get MSG anymore. Do you get MSG? Do you get MSG plus? I don't know what channel MSG is on. Everybody knows the Yes Network and SNY and no one knows where the Knicks are. But now everybody knows where MSG is on because the New York Knickerbockers are getting ready for the playoffs. I'm excited. They would be playing Atlanta and, um, they got home field advantage, best of five. And um, hopefully the Knicks, um, I, here's my theory on the Knicks. You ready? It's real simple. People think they're going to win one round and then lose, right? I'm the opposite. I think the Knicks can lose this round very easily. But if they win this first round, you, I can make the argument that they will. They can win the national the NBA championship. That's how fired up they'll be. That's how much they hustle. Play as a team. Knicks have, I think they have the deepest bench in the league in that, not star quality, but a lot of guys in the rotation play a lot. In the playoffs, sometimes you need the bench strength. I think the Knicks have an excellent defensive bench, especially. And I think the Knicks, just the way they played all year, I shouldn't say they're going to win it. I don't really mean it that way, but they can, they can really, they won't get swept. They could be like the Heat last year. They're just not, they could be. Correct. Which they went almost all the yeah, way. Yeah, they, they went um, to the finals. And it depends if... I think the Knicks can win the East. And, and this year is weird because teams with the... Uh, they sat so many games out. It's weird that the star players... You know, LeBron came back strong, but like his injury is one of those things that could be a nagging one. You don't know. Um, this is stuff you don't hear about. Guy comes back from an ankle injury and he plays the one night he does really well, but then the next morning his, his, his ankle swells up. You don't know what the Nets, the big three there... Um, obviously, I've been saying it all year long. If the Nets have all three of those guys playing in sync, they will win. I don't think they'll even go six games any series. But if Harden's hurt and Durant's not all there, if, there's all, if it's not right, 
then then I think they're actually easily beatable. Because really, Kyrie's the only guy who's had a great year on their team because he played the most. And he doesn't care about basketball right now. Yeah, Kyrie's on the air talking about he doesn't care about basketball, which um, I, I can talk for hours on that, but it just annoys my soul. But I'm looking forward to Knickerbocker basketball. And um, let's see what else. I was... Uh, I went to I went to another huge sports competition, my daughter uh, dance competition for the King Center down in Lancaster. We went to Hershey Park. Um, Hershey Park's an interesting place. Uh, I'm glad we went for four hours. Now I know I don't need to go back there anymore. But my daughter had fun. I actually went on a roller coaster with my daughter. I forget it was called the Whistler, the, the White Bear, or something like that. Old school with the wood, you know. With the tick, 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 all that different stuff. Um, she was nervous as hell as we were going up, and then she had a blast. She wanted to go on again, but there was an hour wait, so, and that was about it. And um, I begged her not to go on the tilt world, but she did. And we walked around until I, I was getting kind of bored until I realized it was like they were selling these like Pennsylvania IPAs at this one stand. I was like, ah, oh, I think they could serve beer here. Very quickly, I was enjoying it. A thirsty, overweight Johnny Trino was enjoying a. Um, those of you who are fans of the show, I hope you do understand that sometimes I refer to myself as Johnny Trino, which if you don't really know the show, you don't know what I'm talking about. Johnny Trino was a character I played in Beer League, and some people really think I am Johnny Trino, including maybe the director of the film, Frank Sebastiano, thought that. But maybe um, Dave. I think Dave I think does. Dave, yeah, Dave, Dave, Dave thinks that too. So, um, but I sometimes I refer to myself as Johnny Trino, and that's a wink, wink to the audience. They get the they get the joke on that. But if you didn't, I just filled you in right there. Uh, but um, so yeah, it was fun. My daughters uh, danced uh, two, three, or four dances. They placed well. They did well. All the rest of the girls did well. Some of them are really, really good in the King Center there up in Wanakue, New Jersey. And we look forward to watching my daughter dance. And the funny thing is, in beer league, I say to the guy, I've seen your daughter dance. She sucks. And now my daughter dances, which I find hysterical. But my daughter does not suck. She's pretty good. And uh, that's about it. That was my weekend. So now, of course, this is the favorite part of the show for me, really, is when I introduce the sponsor for the Jimmy's Bookings, which is the lamest name of a section of a show I've ever heard. Jimmy's Bookings. And by bookings, I mean... My acting bookings that I might have a funny story about. And, of course, it's sponsored. Who is it sponsored by? That's right. Absolute Eyewear, 42 Main Street, Woodbridge, New Jersey, 732-326-3937. That's right. They are a full-service optical store. They got everything. Prescription eyewear, prescription sunglasses, non-prescription sunglasses, prescription safety glasses, prescription sports glasses. You know, if your kid's playing like Little League, you want to protect them, they got all that. Or if you're one of those, like, guys who needs, like, sports glasses when you're playing softball, they have that too. Just don't play on my team. They also have, uh, they got glasses for the kids, the whole bit, contacts, eye exams. The place is run by Craig and Janine Machaud. It's a family-owned thing. They're brother and sister. They've been doing it for years. Um, Craig is most famously known as my right center fielder uh, for Corona Softball in Woodbridge, New Jersey. And uh, they have all kinds of products there. Um, I can really, I'm going to rattle off now some of the sunglasses, but I guess I got to do it in the standard. Um, ladies and gentlemen, now reading the sunglass brands that they have at Absolute Eyewear. Ray-Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, Silhouette, Michael Kors, Vogue, Maui Jim Sunglasses, Costa Del Mar, and others. <laughs> I just like to say and others. Um, they got glasses for every budget, including mine, which is like, you know, I, I, I always break my glasses, so I got to buy the most inexpensive ones they have. But... Um, I can't just do Bob Shepard. I got to do Marv. What, what, what do you, you want to hear, Chris? Which one do you want to hear? Give us some Marv. Here we go. Marv, Marv just retired. I know that's true. So you Marv, gotta, you, gotta you know what? Marv. In honor of Marv Albert retiring, I have to do this as Marv Albert. Getting involved here, Ray-Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, and Silhouette wants to talk it over. Michael Kors, Vogue, Maui Jim sunglasses, Costa Del Mar sunglasses, and the Knicks want to talk it over. Um, <laughs> yeah, I still, I went back in uh, last week. I didn't, you know what? I, I should just do the same announcers all the time. 
This is Ray-Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, Silhouette, Michael Kors, Vogue, Looking Maui, Jim Sunglasses. He's got Maui, Jim Sunglasses. You know what? Maui, Jim Sunglasses. That's a hard one to get out of my mouth. Costa Del Mar. They have all those top, top sunglasses. Absolute eyewear. 42 Main Street, Woodbridge, New Jersey, 732-326-3937. They are the sponsor of the show. They rock, and you get $100 off a complete pair of prescription eyeglasses. When you mention this podcast, remember, it's got to be a pair, and the whole thing, frames, lenses, the whole bit. And, of course, I asked my fans to bring a little picture of Jimmy Palumbo from the Internet so we could stick it on their wall. And uh, that way I can mock out Craig that my face is all over their wall. Open five days a week. They're closed on Wednesday and Sunday. Why are they closed Wednesday? Because that's when he played right center field on my team. So that's I made him close. I made him close the shop because even though Craig stunk in softball, that's not true. I like to say he stunk, but he was actually very good and far younger than me and faster and he hit for power. But uh, Absolute Eyewear, 42 Main Street, Woodbridge, New Jersey, 732-326-3937. Okay, so now, this is the Jimmy booking section, and we're going to talk about a very popular show that I booked. It's called Entourage. Now, it's funny. I'm actually proud of this booking for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, there's nothing better, and it happened when I, obviously, when I did Friends, it was the hottest show on television. When I booked uh, ER, it was a very hot show. NYPD Blue was a hot show when I booked it. Um, and uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm was a hot show. I also got lucky with like, you know, uh, Miss Maisel is a hot show and on Amazon and I booked that one. So you always like to book shows. Listen, I'll take any booking anytime, but when you book a show that's hot and when I booked Entourage, it was a hot show and I played an announcer, really a guy at an auction. And the weird thing was I had to have, I was up at a podium in front of a, of a real uh, a bunch of extras, probably like 200 extras in a big auditorium. And sitting in the middle of the third row was the Jerry Ferrara, who played Turtle, and Kevin Dillon, who played Drama. And um, it was just those two guys. So right in the middle there were two stars of the show. He was wearing like a Met jersey, and the other guy was wearing a Yankee hat. And so I had to like, you know, they were looking up at me. Now, I had notes underneath, and I had to do it as an auctioneer, like 25, 25, 25, oh, 35, 35, sold, that kind of thing. And I... I never really did that before, but the guy wanted me to do it. But I had notes in front of me because I had to, he had very specific prices that the jersey, a Sandy Koufax jersey, which we were auctioning off, and they had found out that Sandy Koufax was dying, so they wanted to buy his jersey signed. And when he dies the next day, the shirt would be worth $2,000 and they would. But the director of the show said, Jimmy, it's got to be very specific numbers. Like, it was like a 200, then 250, then 350, whatever it was, it had to be specific and they had to have it a certain length of time, and different actors were holding up paddles and stuff like that. So it was, it was. I was like, "Oh my god, this is difficult." Like I actually have to do. So I got in my head that just pretend it's a real live auction, you know, act as they say. And I started doing it, and they didn't realize that I had notes at the podium with the different with the different numbers. So I just like, here we go, Sandy Koufax jersey, one hundred and fifty dollars, going away now. Went through the whole thing. And I remember after one of the breaks, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Jerry Ferraro was like, dude, you're awesome. You're up to like, is this what you're doing? I'm like, no, I'm an actor. And they're like, oh, my God, you were like, I really believed you as an auctioneer. And I'm thinking, yeah, I had notes, but, you know. He goes, no, you were great. You were great. So we went through the whole thing. But it was like we literally had to do what seemed like 30 takes. My mouth started getting dry. I had no water up at the stage at the podium, and I'm looking at the two stars of the show. And it's like the early me. days at Chop Studios. Yes, when there's no water or anything here. One thing, I, one thing when you when you do a show at Chop Sports, you got to bring your own water, toilet paper, paper towels, your own producers. It's not pizza. You get pizza, inter- and you get a free slice of pizza. That's what you get here. This is like being at a you know, this is like being at an NYU student film for the rest of your life. But anyway, it was totally cool. And then afterwards, I got to hang out. Um, during the middle of the shoot, during the lunch break, I got to sit at the table with uh, with Kevin and Jerry, and uh, they they I, we had some common friends in between us, and uh, we were I didn't know Dominic Lombardozzi at the time, but we were um, we sat and we chatted uh, uh, for like you know like twenty five minutes, and you really got a sense of who these guys are. And they were they were they were cool. They were um, you know they were just 
in the middle, you know, when you're actors, they had a lot of stuff going on. The show was a hit. And you could tell. They weren't cocky, but it was like, I knew I was at a cool table sitting talking to these guys. But you try to learn. You try to find out what they got going on, what, what they're auditioning for, so on and so forth. By that point, uh, Jerry Farrar had lost a lot of weight, so he was looking good. Um, I always thought that killed the character for me because he was supposed to be the schlubby turtle guy. And then he lost <laughs> weight. He's not a bad-looking guy. And he got all trim, and that, to me... Um, uh, not the same. I mean, it, it's really weird. I, he still works a lot, but you like got him the role probably in power. Correct, but then he lost weight, so good for him yeah. health wise. But I think he would have booked more work if he stayed turtle. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That, that's such a pompous thing. But they were very nice. But the uh, another weird thing was all the the auctioneer that was there to help us out was actually a real auctioneer, and they had real live items all the way around. So I was looking at like bats and stuff. And that's when I showed him, I talked about my Lou Gehrig bat that my dad gave me. And he only offered me 500 bucks for it. Um, you know, I found out later it's worth like 10 grand. So I'm like, dude, what the, what's with the 500 bucks? You know what I mean? But uh, it was exciting to do because I got to, for about four hours, command the entire extras. Like, I was the only focus point. But I knew when they edited it, I wasn't going to be on stage for that long. And then I had my moment with the credit card at the end. And they find out uh, Sandy Koufax, um, uh, dog died, not Sandy Koufax. Oh, I think it's still alive today. And, uh, or maybe he just passed away recently, but, um, it was wild because whenever you do a show, you want to be, you want to do it with the stars. So not only did I do, I performed in front of them in the crowd. Then I had the more intimate moment where we, uh, the transaction of the jersey, uh, and it was a hot show to be on. I remember like going out to bars and stuff, and I knew I was like, "Oh, this is a show you can drop." You know, Sandy Koufax is alive. He's still alive. Okay, um, he's quite old though, I'm sure. But you know, when you're out drinking with your buddies at a hot LA bar, oh, what's going on? What are you working on? And you go, "Yeah, it's been slow." You know, I just did Entourage. You did Entourage. It was one of those shows, like in New York, when you say you did Marvelous Miss Maisel, people get excited. Meanwhile, my goal is to be on one of those bad um, network shows on Channel that Seven or ABC, NBC, or Fox. Yeah. That like, oh, oh, you're on that show, and they look at you negative. Yeah, I'm making twenty grand a week to be on that bad show, you know. <laughs> but uh, Entourage was a hot one. Uh, it didn't get me late or anything, but it was still pretty cool to be able to say it. Even to this day, people are big fans of that show. So um, I was thrilled to book it. Um, the director couldn't have been nicer. Um, and uh, I've auditioned for him a couple times, almost booked a couple things with him. So uh, thrilled to death to do that show. And uh, that's really it, that I had to be an auctioneer, and I got to hang out with Jerry and Kevin Dillon. No drama there. I mean, drama in the in quotes. Drama was there, but there was no drama on my end. Other than a guy tried to rip me off uh, from my baseball bat, but I was smarter than that. So that's it. Entourage. I booked that. Oh man, it must have been two thousand seven, something like that. So all my bookings are from so long ago. Next week, I'm going to do more of a current booking, so you'll have to stay tuned to that. All right, we'll be right back. You know, myself and Gooch are both getting a little older. One of the first things to go is your vision. Thank goodness for our hookup over at Absolute Eyewear in Woodbridge, New Jersey, right on Main Street next to the train station. They have glasses for all ages, all budgets. They have safety glasses, sports glasses. They are a full-service powerhouse offering eye exams and even free lenses for the kids. They work with BCBS, AAA, AARP, giving massive discounts. They're open five days a week, closed on Wednesdays and Sundays. Call 732-326-3937 to get your first pair of Ray-Ban, Burberry, Coach, Polo, you name it, they got it. Go see Craig and Johnine right now. All right, I got a great guest coming on right now, an old friend of mine, your friend and mine, comedian and podcaster, Joe Matteris. What's up, Joe? How are we doing? I'm doing great, yeah, I couldn't be better. Ah, there you go. There's the positive Joe Matteries. Um, <laughs> Joe's always such an excitable figure here, at Shay. Um, so, Joe, I got to ask you. I've known you a long time. We started out together. We we're with the same manager. Uh, somehow, I stayed with the manager, uh, and now I'm doing a podcast. You left to go on to other managers, and now you're doing a podcast. We're even on the same um, podcast network, the Chop Sports Network. But I don't really know about the early early days of your career. Um, uh, I know you're you're a Philly guy. You were born down in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That's where you grew up, which means anybody doesn't know the area, Cherry Hill's like right over the water from 
from Philly, so it means you're a Philly guy if you're from Cherry Hill. So tell me, early on, were you the classic, always made the family laugh, so they kind of knew you might go into comedy, or were you more introverted? Like, what uh, what inspired you early on, when, and did you think you were actually going to do this for a living? Um, well, the, the second of what you said is I was, I was very introverted. I wasn't like a class clown at all. That's probably why I'm never like a funny guy naturally on a podcast, unless it's the right subject matter. Okay. I can, I veer towards the serious more often when That's I'm being fine. interviewed on That's podcasts. fine. I can go there. I can go there. So, but, um, so what do you think about I the can... Israeli situation right now? <laughs> 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 you know? Um, no, but go ahead. So you, you're more. Than, I know. Listen, I used to perform with a couple of guys like that. They have their butterfly moments on stage. You, know? you are a little different on stage than you are. Off stage. I don't have butterfly moments on stage, but you're different um, on stage than than you are I, uh, off stage. So I little yeah, bit. I definitely like. This is a sign that I was going to become a stand-up comedian. I used to go in my parents' basement growing up, and I had the full turntables with the DJ mixer. Okay. And okay. and I would play like comedy albums and not even like like music and I would like uh turn the mic on and I'd have a full PA system down there and I would uh I would I would do like comedy bits and uh as you're a guy that does like a lot of voices and stuff like that I would I would do a lot of voices and impersonations and that's when my friends would say do that voice or do whenever we went out okay. like drinking like 18 19 do sure. that do the, the the thing that do harry cow yep, same thing announcer. same thing with me i well, totally yeah. I did the bob shepherd the marv albert the, i used to yeah. do like obscure guys like bill white and uh yeah so i would like you know and then on top of it i had the dysfunctional italian family yelling while i was doing that down there great. like rupert pumpkin's mom going shut up shut up stop doing it <laughs> so you you, if your parent, if my, it's like, I think Ray Romano has that funny line where he said, if my dad would have hugged me once, this whole career would have never happened. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's great. So, so when you have, when you have the want to perform mixed with the, um, negativity, it makes you, um, go into it even harder. You know, I had my grandmom lived around the block. Uh, so you would tell whole- me to stop being an idiot all the time. Like, stop performing, stop performing. And then I met one kid in community college who told me about a comedy club where you could sign up your name and do an open mic. And uh, I went once, and then I never stopped. I went every single week for, like, two and a half straight years. Wow. To the point where, for the point where I was doing two open... I used to do two open mics in one night in Philly because they were both across the street from each other. Comedy works. And the Comedy Factory outlet were these two amazing full-time comedy clubs. So you and, got to see uh, in your generation of you know uh, some years ago, you must have. Uh, so all the Philly comics that came through Philly, you you definitely know who they are. Then if you were performing at those two clubs, even at open mics. So, well, the, the the big Philly guys had are if I could tell you like the guys that became big. They had already left the Philly scene. Like um, Dom Irrera was a Philly guy, right? right? Jimmy Schubert. So Dom Irrera, Jimmy Schubert, he was already gone. Dom Irrera was gone. You you did see some guys come out of that. Because some open mics, I, I, I didn't, believe it or not, I cut my teeth acting-wise and, and sketch comedy in New York. But I ended up cutting my teeth stand-up-wise, unfortunately, in Los Angeles, where the open mics are probably the worst in the world, because any they're all coffee houses, nobody's watching, and everybody's looking at their own notes. Everybody's hoping to still get discovered by somebody. And I was just well, the up there trying to do the, trying to do a couple of dick jokes. Also, the difference between an open mic in L.A. because I lived in L.A. for a year as at a, and I have been doing comedy like twelve, thirteen years at the time. When you're you still have to go back to the open mic when you're an established comedian. Like L.A. has famous people stopping in at an open mic. Whereas, not, the, not the ones, not the ones I was, I was doing. The ones that were listed in backstage, and they were like, I drove. I remember driving like an hour to Orange County, California, to do an open mic, and I drove. I'm not talking about the open mics that were at established clubs. I mean, there were there were many nights. To be quite honest with you, I probably had the best resume of any comic in there, acting wise, not stand up wise. 
Um, and I remember I went, I, I was at the age, and maybe, I don't know if this happened in Philly, where in the beginning there was no women doing comedy. Or, or the women all looked like Rosie O'Donnell. And then all of a sudden, every open mic, there was like eight hot chicks and models doing stand-up. And uh, some of them weren't, really weren't that funny at all, but they were nice to look at. And then every now and then, there'd be like this hot blonde who would like... And a lot of the guys would be like, oh, check out this girl, this dopey blonde's up there. And she would kill. And I would be like, hey, guys, I don't care what she looks like. She just killed. You know, I wasn't even you know, thinking of, in the beginning when she grabbed the mic, I'm like, oh, that girl's hot. But then she was funny, and she nailed it. Of course, these people are all nameless now. I don't even know who the hell they are. But um, there was a big phase where all these actors started doing open mics. So anyway, so you're doing these open mics. You're, you're, you're getting going. What was your first... What was your first like cool stand up gig um, in Philly or maybe even then New York where you kind of felt like, wow, this is a cool stand up gig? Like I kind of made it or maybe I went over a hump. I think a story I, I tell a lot if I've ever been interviewed on a podcast is uh, the first TV spot as a stand up that I ever booked and what happened and how I got it was um, we're talking. I didn't move to New York City, so I have been doing stand-up in Philly about four and a half years. And I started in 1989, so we're talking like 94-ish. That's I right around right. live on tape with me and yeah. Peter and all that. Yeah, so about 1995-ish, I auditioned for something, if you can remember back then, MTV used to have a lot of stand-up comedy shows on. And every year they would do a big thing at spring break, wherever spring break was going to be. It was either Daytona Beach. Or right. Panama City, right? I don't think anybody so, wanted Jimmy Palumbo down in Panama City for spring break. <laughs> that, yeah, like I deferred I those auditions. I'll never forget it. So I auditioned at Stand Up New York. I have like uh, a manager, but like barely a manager. One of my early managers. She's actually still around in the business, so I shouldn't shit on her. Um, and still books a lot of things, but. I audition at Stanham, New York, and I have the last spot of the whole evening. So they've seen about 15 comedians before me. And you know from being a comic, the checks come out. Everyone in the audience is talking amongst themselves and figuring out what they owe. They're talking out loud. Like normally when you audition for a TV show, they would say, you're not going to get the check spot. We're going to book a guy to go on after the auditioners to take the hit. (laughs) They didn't this night so and this is me this is one of the rare times that my anger problem worked to my advantage oh i'm sure you and i only have we only have five minutes set so it's like what the fuck so i go up there and i just start i mean there's people standing up talking to their friends and i have a five minute audition and i go whoa 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 everybody if you guys could all shut the fuck up right now and like listen to what i got to say this could change my entire career. This oh, wow. You actually said that to the audience. That's great. I said it. I broke out and I go, this could be a huge opportunity for me. And you guys are fucking it up really bad right now. I'll buy everybody here a drink if you just sit down and shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> and it came out hilarious. Everybody laughed and everybody listened. They sat the fuck down, got quiet, listened, and then I had a really good set. Oh, wow. And what's really interesting is the guy who booked the show for MTV is a comedian now. He doesn't work behind the scenes for networks. He, uh, uh, Don Jameson, who you probably oh, know. Oh, I know Don. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I did a show so with him somewhere online. He became a stand-up comedian, but back then he used to work for MTV, and he would book these shows. And he came up to me and basically told me, he goes, what, what you just did right there is probably going to get you the job because that was like, what could happen at a spring break crowd? Same We're guy, looking yeah. to book a few people that aren't famous to mix in. So I get booked. It's me, Jim Brewer, who's on Saturday Night Live at the time. Oh, wow. Right? He's like a star. He's doing Joe Pesci on Saturday Night Live. Um, uh, Andy Dick. Oh, man. Margaret Cho. Um, Those are some heavy hitters there. Uh, the sketch group, The State, was oh, mixed yeah. in. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we go to Panama City. And this was where it was. And Norm McDonald was the host. Oh, wow. That's a pretty big show. I mean, it's you, big. I mean, at the time, yeah, everybody was big. Actually, they were big at the time. That Even going back, they were uh, certainly Norm this, was. This, and- 
This was pre-social media. This was my version of social media because right. MTV would air your episode three or four times a day. Right. It would just it, they would just repeat it on a loop. So it's the so way like, the way thirteen year olds post on TikTok. Same thing. Yeah, and I've only had a few moments in my career in my lifetime where people are walking up to me and recognizing me, and that was one of the times. Wow. And it made me an it made me an asshole. And I started treating my girlfriend like I was big time. I was acting like a dick. So, uh, all right. So you get going with MTV. Uh, and so you're living in New York. You're feeling good about yourself. Did you regularly perform at like uh, Caroline's or Stand Up New York, your main place, the cellar? Where was your main New York place? I worked at Stand Up New York and the comic strip. Those were really, the, this, the comic strip was the big club back then. Chris Rock. And Eddie Murphy were the right. two big ones that they yep. kind of discovered, and no doubt. Re- and, no doubt. and Adam Sandler too. Yep. So you know, that's th- th- why those are those are fairly heavy hitters. There, Sandler, Murphy, and Chris Rock. I mean, you know, I'm going to take this interview in a different direction. Um, Artie and I, uh, when we when we were starting out, I wasn't doing stand up. I was doing sketch comedy. So I I I, I like to, and actually, neither was Artie at the time. Although his he may not. He really wasn't doing stand-up at this time. When the alternative comedy uh, rage hit New York, uh, all I know is I lived through it. I was in those clubs watching people. And it was the most really, really one of the most unfunny uh, eras of stand-up comedy of all time. For years, I used to make the joke, alternative comedy means not telling a joke to the audience. You would have guys go up on stage and they would, talk to the audience or talk to buddies in the audience without ever, ever trying to, there was no joking. It was never a punchline. And, and everybody was like, Oh, look at this guy. He's just up there like talking. And I would be like, but somebody paid $25 and two drink minimum is with his girlfriend. And there's silence. And I would get off the stage and they'd get off stage and I'd hear people go like, my God, he was so brilliant. I was like, yeah, but it's a comedy club. There's no laughter coming from the audience. I never understood. Now, maybe I, maybe the nights I went were just the bad ones, but did you have to well, deal me, with any of that at all? I came up through the New York City comedy uh, comedy boom, I guess, or whatever, and I did see that transition into alternative comedy, and this was the thing about alternative comedy. If you went to the wrong place to watch it, where it was no names trying to, it could suck. Yes. But I guess I was at the if, wrong place. If Places. you went to Luna Lounge on a Monday night, that was the spot. You had Mark Marin was the host. Louis C.K. would come on. Uh, Zach Galifianakis would do these brilliant, weird things. Right. Uh, who's another guy that would well, Louis C.K. Dimitri Martin would yes, go on and yes. do really unique stuff. Luna was the hottest. Uh, uh, we, I performed there. I was live on tape. Luna was hot. That's the first time I saw Louis C.K. But Louis C.K. was not really an alternative comic. He told jokes out of his notebook. That's why I I, he was my favorite. Here is the thing about alternative comedy. You could do stand-up bits at an alternative club if you had really smart, unique stuff. If you were like some guy from Jersey who's going up and talking about like uh, my Jersey softball, like it had... Like it, it had to be it had to be scooed a little bit towards the nerdy side of things. They couldn't be like from the jock, you know. Like I, I think remember people, Mark only Maron. people that smoke chive cigarettes laughed at the jokes. Yes, it had a jazz vibe to it. So I remember like Mark Marin. If you listen to his early podcast, and I even think he said it to me when he interviewed me. He goes, "I always he would use this term. He would go, oh, I always thought you were one of those. You were a bro. That's what he would say. And a bro meant." You were a guy that like got girls and could play sports, and they used to think that that's not what comedy was for. It was for uh, the misfit. They didn't. If you got laid, they didn't like. Yeah. You. Well, whenever I saw you perform, you you to me anyway were not alternative comedy, and you were up there, and you were either telling a story or a joke, and there was a mm-hmm. there was a, there was a rhythm to it. Um, and uh, but I did do that alternative scene, and I had a different kind of thing that I would do that would work there. MTV, I get my first TV credit. I think my second credit is Premium Blend. Do you remember that? Yeah. When that started on Comedy Central, that was supposed to be a little alternative. And this was a time where the network execs would hang out at certain comedy clubs. And they all, everyone from Comedy Central hung out at that Luna Lounge on Monday night. 
So I went up there one night. I've always had this thing about my stand-up. If I made it really natural and didn't sound so like like what you would sound up, sound like in a comedy club, if I just sounded like me being me, I could nail it. I remember I killed at the at Luna Lounge with all these hipsters in the crowd, and I got the Comedy Central's premium blend oh, like a week later. Well, that's so you so obviously. Like, I, I um, figured out how to do my same act, but like just well, that's because you're a professional. I just remember seeing humanized. Uh, uh, Luna Lounge was like the, the, the like an all star game of uh, of comics, but I don't know. I, I just didn't get it. Maybe um, it's like why I hate the movie Memento. I just I, I like linear comedy. You say something, you laugh. But um, well, you know, you got to think. It's almost like because I always compare. Whenever I talk to you, I talk with a sports comparison because you're such a sports guy. <laughs> and not to say like slow pitch softball is a bad thing. I'm saying being you, you never immersed yourself in the New York City comedy scene. Correct. You didn't hang at the comedy. I didn't do the hanging. No, no. You no, didn't you- go to these weird weird alty rooms all over New York City and and watch it. So if you didn't. You didn't have that gear. So it would be right. like if you played True. in a slow pitch softball league and then all of a sudden they're like, Jimmy, we're doing fast pitch next week. I would Tuesday, struggle. I get in, it. You'd I, have I, trouble I, with it. I preface by saying, um, I, I was not, I'm not the expert on this. I just remember being, at a, I, I, I did not immerse myself in the all of the rooms, but I did go to enough where I formed an opinion because right. I was always, I, you, I would always blown away by comedy because I was afraid to do it stand up. So I would watch these killer stand ups. And I'd be like, wow, like, I, I, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. And then I would go to an alternative comedy room and I'd be like, wow, man, I'm so glad I'm not doing that. You and I were like, if we were friends back then and hanging out and you were like frustrated about the alternative comedy scene, as your friend, I would have pulled you aside and been like, dude, that stuff you do in your sketch comedy group stuff, that's what you should do at, Lu- at Luna Lounge. Well, we like, did. You, I, we Live on tape performed wait, at dude, Luna You should Lounge. do it alone. Like, you should do a character. You should I, go I wasn't. In, honestly, you know what? Character. Even though I was that's 27, I was 25 years old. Showbiz-wise, I was nine. Uh, I never felt, uh, you know, I wasn't trained. Those guys were, there were so many talented people. And uh, But anyway, what, what made you move out to L.A.? I wanted to start hitting the L.A. scene. I didn't even really want to move there. I just wanted to start going out there. And I went out there, and a manager approached me and said, I, I, I like what you do. I think I could like get you some sort of television deal. I really liked it. I see potential to get you your own show on, on a network. And uh, I worked with this guy, Nick Cannon. At the time, Nick Cannon was like 16. He wasn't even famous. And um, I'm doing a lot of great things with him. I think I could do the same with you. And I came back to Peter Principato and I said, this guy is really interested in me and he thinks he can get me a deal. You don't even want me to go out there. And this guy's saying the opposite thing. And then I said, you know, could you guys both manage me? Can we do something here? And he goes, no, I'm not interested in sharing you with somebody else. Please don't leave. He's like begging me. It was like, it was like you're dating some girl who's like a seven and you move to LA and a 10 wants to have sex with you and you want to ask the seven if it's okay if I just fuck her once. Okay. Right? Okay. <laughs> so he goes, no, I don't want to leave. I don't want to share you with anybody. And I say, fuck it. And I, I fire. Peter I can't Prince blame you. You got to take it. You know, if you felt, if in, in your heart, you felt like you wanted to take a shot. Of two course. Weeks later, two weeks two later, two weeks later, the guy got me the most money I've ever made in my comedy career. He okay. got me a hundred and hundred and thirty five thousand dollar development deal with will smith production company well then that was a, that was the right NBC. decision yeah i, I hope you still you have look, that hundred thirty five thousand. but if you look long term though it's not the right decision yes because true but at that's, the time that's the most that's the most i never made more than that May, the show didn't get picked hey listen that was a decision you had to make i can't blame you i made the decision the show didn't get made I started auditioning for a lot of stuff in L.A. I was getting depressed, more depressed, more depressed. I was single. I didn't want to be single. I knew I wanted to be married and have kids. All the girls I went out with in L.A. were fucking psychopaths. It just was going. To, I didn't have. I don't think I had a third date in L.A. Like every uh, girl was like. At least you had. At least you had psychopaths. I was. I was drinking at the Foxfire Room in North Hollywood, staring at a paneling wall. So at least you were like, yeah. you, you had runners in scoring position. I was just like, you know. I got laid a few times by yeah, hot girls, but laid. there was no one. Good looking fella. You know? was, there was no quality though. Like the, there was just they were like pretty on the outside, and 
I think Jim Florentine has a really funny bit he did in his one person show where he shows a picture of what some like what a girl looks like on the outside, but then he shows this fucking disastrous picture in, in inside this like house with like shit sprayed all yeah, over the wall. Funny. That's what they were on the inside. I know. That's what moved me back after a year and like three months was the girl situation more than the career. Oh. I and never. then uh, I met my wife as soon as I moved back. It was wow. like within a month. And you got I to that date. third date with your beautiful wife. So uh, it was uh, it was a weird time. So tell I us about you. Tell us about your podcast now on the Chop Sports Network. Well, I think you have an interesting podcast, concept for a show. So so the podcast I do now is uh, pretender to contender because I'm fascinated with hearing people's story of how they went from being nothing and figuring it out and how and how to make it and and hearing their mistakes, and then them figuring out how they learn. Um, I, uh, when I was a guest on your show, I had trouble because I still feel like I'm in the pretender phase. I never made it to contender. <laughs> I'm in the play-in. My whole life, I'm in the play-in game. If you win here, what? you have the right to play in the next round to maybe get into the tournament. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I think I think it's true in life that nobody is good at observing their own that's self. True. That, that they're better true. at observing you, You've given others. me good advice that I have not executed. I, I, I admit no. that. A lot of people have. You've agreed, and you've agreed where you said I'm a very negative thinker and that I wish uh -huh. I wasn't. I do. I, I can do tell think when I say those things that you go, yeah, I wish I wasn't so negative. Yeah, Why? there's no doubt. There's no doubt, especially when it like uh, when it comes to showbiz stuff, and especially with with marketing, and when someone says, I, I, "I'll be dead honest with it." It, it usually, it, and this is going to sound like a, a bit, but it's not. I usually struggle when someone discusses things that are non-revenue generating, and I'm already in. I feel like I'm in a boiling pot of non-revenue generating action, and someone says, no, 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 what you need to do is go in this pot and that pot, and they're all non-revenue generating, and I say to myself, well, I'm not making money here, and there's no money there, and there's no money in the other pot, but the reason why that's short-sighted is that if you do that for 10 years, one of the things that you create in those pots could turn into be the biggest break of your life. And in that regard is where I really I, I've uh, I've made some mistakes, no doubt about it. Well, my biggest observation is, and I know I'm very good at it with other people, is I notice what their thing is that they're the best at, right? Right, right. It, and I said it to you early. I said you're the best at being funny in movies and in television, right? So you're, that's your thing, like that. And I know as a guy that wishes he could do it. So when I see someone who's good at it, I notice the talent, right? So in my head, it's a no-brainer. I always say to you, and I, see, this is where you get it wrong. I'm not saying stop doing the things that pay the revenue. I'm saying also do the things right. that have no pay. I guess I don't have confidence no confidence in my every ability guy to write I know that every comedian I know that has a talent for sketch comedy and and sitcom acting does a ton of social media stuff with that skill They're, they do sketches they do characters non-stop on the internet well we just i just started doing that recently in the last month uh -huh. um and yeah. i am having fun with it so i i will admit that i'm diving into um and my biggest fear is because i think about nine out of ten uh, videos and sketches i watch in the social media arena when i do watch it are hor horrifically unfunny I don't think they're funny. I don't get them. And again, I'm 55 years old. When I do see a funny one, I laugh my ass off. I'll give you that. So when I'm doing right. my own, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm making one of these bad videos right. that I would well, that Well, that's the thing that I'm talking about, that you're your own... Uh, uh, worst critic. So. That's the problem there. You, but people started it, making like, stuff. The iPhone has created, oh, I can, I can create funny videos without thinking them through and having a writer's meeting and going through and reading each line. Everybody just shoots them and airs them so you shoot them at 4 p.m and by 4 45 someone in china can watch it whereas a sit you know i i, I guess I, I should be doing more of that and throw a bunch of shit on the wall and see if something sticks and that's what i'm doing now so you will now start seeing a lot of shit on the wall and hopefully well, a there lot needs more to sticking. be a lot but unfortunately we're in a time where there needs to be a lot of shit on the wall right i know it's that's not the hard every part. episode i hate to say it even curb your enthusiasm everybody fucking loves that show it's my favorite show, but some bits don't there's work. Been some ba there's bad episodes. Uh, there's no, there's no question. But I mean, again, to compare it to sports, 
I got a 13-year-old son who plays travel baseball, right? He didn't want to go out for his school team. One of his reasons, and I can remember this being one of my reasons, too, when I was his age of not wanting to continue my baseball career was, I'm not going to make it to the major leagues. So what's the fucking difference? I get it. That's, so that's... when you have that attitude of, I'm never going to make it anyway, you're never going to make it because you got you got to put in those reps. It's you're right. Just, you know, you're you right got to play that. the, you got to have right a lot of it back to hit, to get hits, right? I, I, I love the fact that I have Joe Mattery's on and he just brilliantly turned it into a, a counseling session. You're so good at that. As good as I no, am at saying, you know, Jimmy Palomo getting involved here, so getting talented. counseling from Joe Mattery's at the 541 mark. Jimmy Palumbo was rolling along. Oh, he just cannot simply guard Zoloff right now. Zoloff scored 35 points with 19 rebounds and 10 assists. And Jimmy Palumbo with his Bud Light wants to talk it over. <laughs> but you know, you, I want, you know that I think it's with you, it's not like counseling. It's more like positive. Like, I'm trying to you, say Listen, it in you're a way positive. I love that. I love that about you. You used to not always be that way. And on stage sometimes, you are, you're not always positive. I've seen you rip audiences a new ass because they weren't oh, listening yeah. to you. You did that in my hometown, sure. as a matter of fact. That, but was, that, 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 that was the like old Joe. Everybody has things in their in their tool belt that are their positive tools, and then, then there's other ones Correct. that are their negative. Tools. The problem is so, my tool uh, belt doesn't fit anymore because I'm fat. So. <laughs> well, listen, oh, like, I got listen, Joe. Uh, I'm gonna have you on again probably every three weeks um, when a guest cancels because you're gonna be. I need to go <laughs> to therapy every three weeks, and Joe will tell me what I'm doing wrong in life. And if my producers had a little bit more than the $8 budget production facility here so they can hear the actual show that's going on, they could sit in the room and laugh, which I asked them to engage in my show, and now they're staring at me. Um, what, what else? I don't know if Chop about? Sports Network is a network or they just run a softball team. Either way, I'm in on both counts. <laughs> uh, I can't. What, what, what else do you talk to your guests about besides like just hearing like how their career I, was? Like? I, I know you, so I'll talk about you whenever. It doesn't, it goes, some interviews go whatever. We told we you know okay. So let's do a little tease on you. So what's the first sketch that you're going to shoot for like your Instagram page? Like I already you, have you have you, have you I've already shot a bunch of sketches. There's going to be one going tonight that they're going to post. I want you to watch it and you tell me if it's funny. It incorporates uh, Jimmy, negative thinking, softball, uh, announcer voices, all the things which got me to where I am today, which is on a non-revenue well, generating I saw it. something you posted on the softball field that was funny, and I wrote something on your page. I know, but I don't it. know how to engage in that, so I had to hire a guy um, who's doing my <laughs> social media now. Um, so, if, uh, you know, that... that uh, the guys here at Chop Sports Network were aggravated at that I had to hire a guy, but that's because I go on Instagram and all I see is like, I, I just don't get it. There's hearts, there's things, there's down. I don't know what I'm doing, but um, I'm definitely going to have you on again, Joe. It's when I'm really down about something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to, I got to talk to Joe Matteris right now to, you know, walk me through this situation. That's a new segment of my podcast. When I'm down about something, I'm getting in touch with Joe Matteris. We're now, uh, we're now into like, this is like four hours now. I feel like I'm Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Um, and, uh, well, listen, Joe, thanks for coming on, bro. Uh, and, uh, I do, I have to go rake, rake my driveway. Go rake your driveway and go Phillies. <laughs> I'll talk to you later on, man. Hey guys, this is Dirk from Chop Sports, and I want to talk to you about a new hobby of mine, and that's real estate. Ever since we brought on our resident realtor here at Chop Sports, that's all I can think about. So we got another one. You know who's really good at this stuff? Jay Devlin of CRG Homes. Jay is out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and business is booming. Whether you're looking to relocate, buy, rent, or literally purchase property and watch your stacks get higher, Jay is the guy to do this for you. He's already in the process of helping me out right now on a possible summer home. Call Jay right now, 843-315-5913, and have yourself a chat and learn about all the perks and tell him Chop Sports sent you. Okay, the lovely and talented Joe Matteries, who is a comedian, but really wants to be a counselor or a psychologist. I think his wife is a psychologist and maybe runs in the family over there um, who is uh, kind enough to come on my show and tell me all the things I do wrong in life. And that's the way the Jimmy Palumbo show ends. Maybe forever. The Phil Sims, Phil Sims show, number 11. That's right. Stay tuned. Next week will be episode number 12. And that's going to be very interesting. I already know who it's going to be, but... Um, Here's one thing you can you can go to Vegas with. 
It's not going to be the Tom Brady show. I assure Aaron, Aaron you. Aaron Rodgers. And it will not be the Aaron Rodgers show. I assure you. They're too popular. It's not funny. It's not funny. I'm thinking of the Yankee. I almost want to say the guy. Off the top of that. my head, my, the Yankee I'm thinking of is like Kenny Lofton. No, 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 no. I already know the guy. The guy, actually, the guy I'm talking about is dead, which is even funnier. Um, it's funnier when they're not, when they're like from 70s and 80s, and they're dead now. That's how I made my show. Just like my podcast is dead now. We'll see you. Everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening. can't wait to tell joe after the podcast is over that when you're inside the booth listening to the podcast get off your fucking phone when you're in the room should i tell him that now or should we oh he was so he's trying to help this oh you're producing the show this is great i wouldn't know anything about that we i haven't none of my shows none of my shows are produced um no we're not this is going to be edited out